and welcome back to What's the Plan, the podcast where we dive into the matters of our careers in the architecture and urban planning field. I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. So Haley, what's the plan this week? This week's plan is all about our educational journey starting with high school. Andrea, do you think you felt prepared for university after high school? Um, initial thoughts, yes and no. Um, yes in the sense that I was prepared in like core academic courses, but I think everything and or anything design related, I was pretty much learning in first year university as I was going. Yeah. So just some context is we attended a high school in a predominantly middle class area of the greater Toronto area. And they had a very strong focus on academic success. Mm-hmm. So during the four years we were there, it was rated one of the top five high schools in Ontario by the Simon Fraser Institute, which is based on like equally results of standardized like grade nine math and grade 10 English. Yeah, so um, one of the main focuses of our specific high school, it was very STEM-based. There is a specific term that our high school and our general area of the GTA used called the Asian Six-Pack, which is where you take um, the three maths that are offered, Mm -hmm. which is advanced functions, calculus, and statistics, along with the three sciences offered, which is chemistry, biology, and physics. So as you can tell, these are the STEM, the core STEM courses Mm -hmm. that you need to get into a field and career in the STEM industry. Mm -hmm. And so what this meant is that unless you are constantly achieving the highest grades within these STEM-based classes, you weren't necessarily seen as a successful student. Yeah, and not only, like, if you weren't even, they don't even consider, like, your success based on how well you're doing those courses, but the idea that you weren't even taking those courses is be like, why? What are you doing? What do you plan to do with your life? Yeah, the fact that um, I know some of my friends Mm -hmm. that didn't take any of these classes, the first question they would be asked is, so what, what are you getting into? Like, what, why? Yeah. Yeah, and with that being said, like, because there was such a heavy, like, priority on these, like, six courses, whether, or, like, sciences and maths, there were a limited amount of courses available for anyone else that wanted to go into a different field, specifically in design and, like, Mm -hmm, arts. mm -hmm. So, the summer before grade 10 started, um, I attended summer school so I can, like, just finish a bird course, um, in the summer to make room for, like, another regular class during the school year, and geared towards like university requirements and during that summer school I learned that a high school nearby offers a course called architecture and I was like what I want to become like an architect so why is my school not offering this course to me like the closest thing our high school has was a class called tech design which is basically woodshop (laughs) so the ideas of like orthographic drawings and learning how to use AutoCAD was like briefly touched upon for I think probably only a week (laughs) each but anything more like that you want to learn about architecture had to be self-taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because there was little, like, focus spent on the arts, um, the art department, there was only one course for every grade. So say you want to become, like, uh, and you want to go into graphic design. There was no course for graphic design. There was only one general arts course. So everyone had to take this one course to kind of, like, satisfy, like, their university requirements. Mm-hmm. So, like, Therefore, like, the projects that came out of those courses were quite restrictive in making a portfolio geared to a specific, like, design field. Mm -hmm. So, like, because of that, like, I had to go on my own and join a private art studio just so I can, like, build my own portfolio. 
Yeah, and not only were there not a lot of arts-based courses offered, but there weren't uh, there weren't a lot of courses or classes offered that focused on the environment, for example. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who went into the faculty of environment, I felt like I didn't know a lot about mm-hmm. what there was. I felt like going into university... I learned so much more about the environment than I had known in my past 18 years of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do I do wonder, like, do you think the interest in science and math-based uh, classes came first? Or do you think the need of our high school's desire to offer them came first? Um, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, like, the parents, because okay, usually, yeah. like, it's parents that are advocating for the kids that, like, we need this course for my kid because I think that's what my kid wants. For sure. But a lot of times, like, your kid ne- doesn't necessarily want to do it. They're only doing it to ap- appease their parents. You're right. And I feel like I do know a lot of people that, like, thought they were going to do, like, take the Asian sex back because mm-hmm. their parents wanted them to do it. But in the end, like, they didn't really want to. So You're it's right. like... I feel like it's a lot of, like, parents pressuring students, mm-hmm. parents pressuring, like, schools to offer these courses, and there's not enough parents that are supporting, like, the arts or the environment to, like, push forward. Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like, now that you mention it, mm-hmm. I am one of those students who felt pressured to take two of the sciences, um, but <laughs> if you listen to the first episode, you would know that I am not a good science or math student, <laughs> and so why I chose to take these courses was definitely not out of interest or even um, knowledge. Mm -hmm. It was because I felt pressured. But the funny thing is, I don't think I felt pressured by my parents. Mm -hmm. I felt pressured by the parents of other students. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I felt like if I didn't take these classes, the parents of my friends wouldn't want me hanging around there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, kids anymore because they would think that I'm not smart enough uh they should be hanging out with more educated students Mm -hmm. and I don't know do you like have you felt the same way yeah I feel like in addition to us being like located in pretty much like a middle class Mm -hmm. environment it was where we grew up was predominantly like immigrant families right and a lot of times immigrant families they sacrificed a lot of things for their children to grow up here mm-hmm. and because of that i think they place a lot of like significance or idea that like taking something in english or sciences would be able to set you up for a stable career mm-hmm. whereas like if you pursue something in the arts or environment or something that's much more niche there's a less of an opportunity for you to make stable money and like obviously their main concern is like making money mm-hmm. <laughs> so because of that i feel like there is not a lot of like significant or priority for that at school yeah, I think um, based on that, like how success was defined ba- um, in our high school and in the general area that we live in is whether or not you have a good career in the sense that you'll earn a lot of money mm-hmm. and happiness and interest and like understanding and knowing your interest and knowing that you're happy is definitely, it's not even considered yeah. when you talk about success. Yeah, and I think, like, the default answer is, like, when you don't know what you want to do, a lot of times, 
you see those students at our high school just taking those math and sciences courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not thinking, like, there might be other opportunities elsewhere if you maybe take, like, a business course. Yeah, or, like, something that you're truly interested in. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as a high school student, when I was in high school, yeah. I sacrificed a lot of my own interests in classes that I would have taken or wanted to take yeah. uh, for these specific courses. And I think that also came with the mindset that if you didn't attend a good university, mm-hmm. like one of the top 10 universities in like the province or even Canada or yeah. anywhere, um, that I wouldn't be seen as successful. Yeah. And so I think that really showed with even the teachers that taught the courses in high school. Yeah, like not only like the courses were kind of very geared towards engineering like sciences like doctor med that kind of like industry or field um like there were courses that were taught as supposed to be like general physics course but then because the prof that taught it or the teacher that taught it wanted to set up um their students for success in the engineering fields like anyone that took that course were pretty much like required to perform at the same level as Mm. engineers like um physics is a requirement to get into architecture Mm -hmm. and that's understandable however i don't need to know the same knowledge of like like i don't know robotics or mechatronic (laughs) engineers or like electrical like i don't need to know that same level of detail so Mm -hmm. it was quite frustrating when a teacher one singular teacher out of all of like the four physics teacher decided to do their own thing and teach at a much like stricter level and harder level Mm -hmm. and he wasn't very quite understanding that for people that were not trying to get into engineering so that was quite frustrating because like yes although he he did end up preparing me for like my first two years of physics requirements at university it was it was not enjoyable and it was it made me like quite upset that like I was struggling so much in high school even though I didn't need to be mm-hmm. and it was just creating sort of like a toxic environment where like I felt like I wasn't successful even though I was only comparing myself to a small class sample mm-hmm. and it got so bad that like by the end of the semester more than half our class dropped wow yeah whereas like other classes only maybe like 20 percent dropped mm-hmm so, like, that was quite frustrating and not, like, a fun place to be. Yeah, so did you end up dropping the uh, physics class? or No, I ended up completing, like, my grade 11 physics class okay. with him. But when I was um, signing up for grade, grade 12 physics and I happened to have him again, mm. I, like, immediately left his class. I'm like, wow. I'm not doing this again because, like, not only it was, like, tough for me, like, academically but it was just like mentally difficult to yeah, deal for with sure. yeah mm-hmm. like that expectation that you need to perform mm-hmm. and succeed at a university level yeah when you're not even there yet that's... yeah and like the things you were teaching us were not necessarily the same as everybody else so it's like mm-hmm. why are you singling out the maybe like 20 kids in your class wow like if, if the school decides this is something they want to do i feel like they might they should better do this with, like, have all, all the other teachers do this as well, mm-hmm. rather than just one prof or one teacher. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so, like, clearly the, the grades in one teacher's class were much lower than, like, the other ones that weren't as, like, strict. Mm-hmm. We're teaching things out of, like, beyond their level. Yeah, and then I guess that goes back to, like, the pressure of are you successful? Are you mm-hmm. a successful student? Like, yeah. having that comparison of you're both taking the same grade physics class but you have different teachers Mm -hmm. and you're not doing as well as someone else in the other class I I guess that must make you feel like inadequate 
for me, it was, like, more frustrating because I knew the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then because it was out of my control, which, like, made things worse. Yeah. And the only thing I could do to solve this was to, like, to leave this class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yeah. glad you are able to make that uh, decision to leave, though. Yeah. And, like, uh, like, you were able to put yourself first. Yeah. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's clear that with our, uh, I guess, education, um, our high school did do a pretty well, a pretty good job in preparing us in terms of, I guess, creating, um, like, study habits, Mm -hmm. making sure we understand how intense, uh, university may be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Prepares for the workload, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on the social aspect? Do you think high school, the social culture of Mm -hmm. high school prepared you for the social culture of university? Um, I feel like, I feel like in both situations, in high school and university, I think your social life is what you make it. Mm -hmm. If you don't participate, you obviously miss out on a lot of opportunities. For sure. And you may miss out on meeting new friends. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, both of us were quite involved in high school, and Mm -hmm. I think that because we were so involved and we enjoyed being, like, on clubs and, like, in uh, the band, we, like participating in different aspects of like school life not beyond uh, academics mm-hmm. i think we were able to kind of also push ourselves out of our comfort zone in university and participate in like extracurricular activities actually yeah. for me what I about think, you <laughs> i think it was a little different for really me. I th- yeah i think um in high school i was so involved and i just felt like it was so much easier to be involved mm-hmm. because in high school like you have these set classes mm-hmm. and everyone is in the same building for eight hours a day yeah. that it was easier to make connections uh-huh. than um, when I moved on to university. Like, I felt like the fact that being involved didn't come as easily to me right off the bat mm-hmm. made me insecure and it made me feel like maybe being involved isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so that actually pushed me back into my shell. Really? Yeah. In university, like you said, like, it is what you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't go out of your way to find clubs and find these activities to join, mm-hmm. you're not going to be a part of it. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I think that yeah. really hit me and during my first year because, like, these activities and these clubs mm-hmm. didn't come find me. Um, like, come to my specific buildings that my courses were in to mm-hmm. find me. Whereas back in high school, because everything was in the same building, mm-hmm. it was so much easier to fall upon the different activities yeah. available. Yeah, like, there's, like, daily announcements saying, like, this club is looking for people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which I think that's something that um, was a big change for me because mm-hmm. of how active I was in high school Mm -hmm. the fact that my first few years of university I was so inactive it Mm -hmm. felt almost like I didn't know who I was anymore yeah yeah but how do you think the transition of like being super active in high school to like not being active in university kind of like affected your time management skills yeah (laughs) I feel like that it affected me a lot you Mm -hmm. would think that now that I don't have as much of a focus on my extracurriculars Mm -hmm. I would have so much more time for my studies Mm -hmm. but I felt like because I was so used to balancing my workload so well Mm -hmm. the fact that I didn't have to focus on any extracurriculars made me think that I was I had too much time to spend on my (laughs) studies which in turn 
made me spend not as much time on my mm, studies because yeah. I felt like it, sh- it doesn't make sense. Why yeah. am I spending so much time on my studies? Uh-huh. So then that actually increased my procrastination mm-hmm. and made it so much worse. What about you though? Um, so were you involved like straight off the bat during your first year of university? Well, like, okay, looking, before we even go to university, like, looking back in my high school schedule, mm-hmm. um, I don't even know how I managed to survive, like, four years of high school. Okay. Because, like, pretty much through, all through four years, I, like, had slept for, like, six hours a night. Yes, exactly. Um, every day. So, it was, like, whether it was, like, it was because I had to be at school early before mm-hmm. the school day started so I can, like go to practice mm-hmm. whether it's for like band or for sports or like stay after after in the evenings or even just like outside of school I was participating in a lot of extracurricular activities mm-hmm. so that required like travel time and all that kind of stuff so like I wouldn't be home until like 10 or 11 almost every every week so it's mm-hmm. like I don't know how I managed to like mm-hmm. stay sane during that time so um yeah like especially in grade grade 10 to 12 at school I was like on four sports teams this season I was like juggling band practice athletic councils like I was playing club volleyball and that kind of stuff and like I think going through all that definitely helped me with like knowing how to manage my time between like the various courses in university Mm -hmm. but I feel like even though I was so prepared and knowing how to manage my time so I can get in schoolwork it it didn't really prepare me for how much time like doing architecture (laughs) homework would take Mm -hmm. Mm, okay. And, like, how much time would I actually truly need to be dedicating for, like, schoolwork? Right. So, yeah, like, before we dive into, like, her actual, like, workload and school experiences, how did you choose Waterloo? Why did you end up at Waterloo? Ah, uh, yeah. Interesting question. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to the first episode, you would know that the planning program that I went into at mm-hmm. Waterloo was actually my last choice of all of the programs that I applied for Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason why I chose planning was because I happened to know someone who was in the program Mm -hmm. uh, that was a few years older and she gave me the insight on the program and the school and all of that and that is the reason why I applied to Waterloo's planning. I didn't even apply to any of the other planning schools, uh, planning programs that other schools offered. Mm -hmm. I think it was during my first year of university that I even knew that planning (laughs) was offered at Ryerson and all of that. Um, But a reason why I chose Waterloo was because it was a place that my brother would visit quite often. And so with that, I felt more comfortable going there because mm-hmm. I knew that I would see my brother quite frequently, mm-hmm. and that made it an easier to school easier school to choose. Mm-hmm. But what about you, Andrea? Why did you choose Ryerson? So, um, in a way, I technically didn't choose Ryerson. Okay, and I feel like how I ended up there is like quite serendipitous i think i say serendipitous in the sense that like ryerson was never my first choice Mm, okay and uh but now having gone there i can't really imagine myself having gone anywhere else Mm -hmm. and like i don't think i've ever talked about this much since like grade 12 but Mm -hmm. um for the longest time my dream school is actually to go to waterloo's architecture Mm -hmm. program Mm -hmm. and um come to think about it i think the only reason why that was my dream school it was because it was the only program that i knew much about okay or heard much about because i knew like a couple of people that went there um like 
before even like deciding which school I wanted to apply to, like I knew I wanted to study at an accredited program in mm-hmm. Ontario. Like I didn't want to leave home or leave far from home. So the only options there were like Waterloo, Ryerson, and Carleton. Okay. And Carleton being in Ottawa, I thought that was just a little too far for me <laughs> and too like unknown. So mm-hmm. I still applied there knowing that like it's not going to be like one of my top choices. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like out of those three options, like Waterloo's architecture program, I I would say is the most like p- prestigious in all of Canada because it is one of the older architecture schools right like it's been been around for at least like 40 50 years so it's had a lot more time to like build a reputation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, along with that like they have a guaranteed co-op program where like everybody that enters or applies um if you get in like you get co-op for sure Mm -hmm. as well as um Waterloo was the only campus tour I went on (laughs) so because of that I went to I got a chance to see their uh building and it Mm -hmm. was like a beautiful like heritage building right on the Grand River Mm -hmm. so like just the setting was really nice so like that kind of drew me in Mm -hmm. um and another factor was like the fourth year Rome semester okay so at our uh the Waterloo program when you're in I think first first semester or either second semester of your fourth year you get to spend a semester in Rome Mm. so like your whole class goes and all that kind of stuff so like those are definitely, like, enticing factors that drew me in. Yeah, But at sure. the same time, those are the only things I knew about, like, any really architecture programs in, mm-hmm. in, um, in Ontario. Like, so, yeah, like, because of that, I had convinced myself, like, this is the place I want to be. Mm-hmm. And, like, as you figured out, I didn't go to Waterloo. <laughs> um, in fact, I was not accepted. And um, I didn't even qualify for an interview. Mm. So, like... Because I didn't qualify for an interview, I had enough time to kind of, like, jump ships and, like, change my plan and be mm-hmm. like, okay, I have to figure out another place to go and where I want to go. And then because of that, I, like, jumped ships and, like, I focused all my attention onto Ryerson. Okay. Yeah, so that was my second choice. And luckily, everything worked out. <laughs> I got an interview. I got accepted. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, like, looking back at it now, like... I didn't know anything about Ryerson. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first time I actually went to Ryerson was for my interview. Wow. And, like, you know me. Like, I am a very, like, geographically, like, um, knowledgeable person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, despite having lived in the GTA and, like, having, like, visited downtown mm-hmm. pretty much, like, all my life, I had no idea where Ryerson was located. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, like, I've heard from friends, like, mm-hmm. from friends with older siblings that attended Ryerson that, like, oh, like, Ryerson's just right by, like, the Eden Center, like, the biggest mm-hmm. mall pretty much in all of Ontario. And I was, like, I've gone to Eden Center several times, but I never knew Ry- where <laughs> Ryerson was. Uh-huh. Or, like, I never really noticed it. So, it's, like, yeah, like, even on the first day of, or the first time I went there on my interview, like, I didn't know where it was because I pretty much slept the entire car ride down. <laughs> so, when I woke up, I was so disoriented, and the only thing I knew was just this building. Mm-hmm. This one building I saw, but nothing else around it. Wow. Yeah. But, like, with that being said, I think... One of the best aspects of Ryerson is, like, being located in the heart of downtown. Yeah. So, you have everything at your fingertips, whether it's, like, the industry or, like, several, like, resources. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is just at a stone throw away. So, mm-hmm. I guess you don't regret going <laughs> No, I definitely No, Ryerson. I don't regret it. I feel like things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, I don't... I can't see myself having gone to Waterloo now. Like, I cannot imagine that. Mm, like, yeah, for sure. my life would have been totally different and I might have hated myself for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, um, going back to you saying that Ryerson's architecture program is an accredited program. Yeah. Um, that is, 
the same thing with Waterloo's planning program. Yeah. It's an accredited program as well, which means that the both of us, uh, having studied at these specific programs, we are able to continue our journeys into mm-hmm. the career without any like other steps needed. So for me, I can um, go straight into a planning profession and start preparing to become a registered professional planner Mm -hmm. uh, while for you. Yeah, that's a little different because for mine, even though it's accredited, um, architecture, it's undergrad is considered a pre-professional degree. Right. So we, uh, we would need to do a master's, which then will be considered a professional degree. And then I can like do my hours and my exams and then become licensed. Mm -hmm. So it is a step and that it's not necessarily a step that everyone needs to take, but I think it makes your master's a lot easier Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it provides you a lot more opportunities to, uh, for master's as well. Right. Because you already have like the base knowledge and everything is more focused. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about like actually the structure of your program. Mm -hmm. Um, so how would you describe Ryerson's architecture program? Um, you hear this a lot from especially like people that are working in the industry that mm-hmm. when you hire a Ryerson grad, you're hiring someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and like they have the actual like knowledge and like technical skills to build something. Mm-hmm. So like this notion, I think, of like Ryerson being more of a technical school kind of comes from like the roots or like the beginnings of our school. Like Prior to becoming a university, Ryerson was actually considered a polytechnic. Mm. So because of that, our program and curriculum has, like, a strong, like, base in, like, learning, um, like, teachable career skills. Right. And then over the years, with the introduction of, like, being an accredited program, mm-hmm. you introduce, like, theory and philosophy. Sure. Because those aspects are pretty important to um, learning about design and, like, the history of design. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, the program definitely prepares you for the workforce. Mm-hmm. And... Not only for design, but also for, like, project management and yeah. building science. So, I think, overall, the curriculum is quite balanced. Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, yeah, it's not, it might be heavier on, like, the practical side. But, overall, I think it's, like, a great, great, like, learning place. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it's the same for um, Waterloo's planning program as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like we had a really good balance between uh, a theoretical education and yeah. a practical education. Um, in the sense that we definitely did learn a lot of the theory behind planning, Mm -hmm. but we were also immersed in, like, hands-on planning um, industry and experiences. Mm -hmm. So because of the co-op program as well, we were able to have a step into the actual work industry to get a taste of what that's like. And the courses that were offered were also very um, practical in the sense that we get to learn what it's like to actually work as a planning professional. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I would say that a lot of the courses that were offered at Waterloo were more focused around the private sector of planning over the public sector, Mm -hmm. um, at least early on, which uh, it was a little difficult in the sense that from pretty early on, a lot of people would have already decided that they wanted to go into the private sector because through our education, that's mm-hmm. mostly what we were exposed to. Yeah. And when um, the later courses, like, sorry, the later years came around mm-hmm. and the courses started to revolve more around the public sector, it was easy to tell which students were 
not as interested mm, and didn't yeah. pay as much attention because they just they just knew that they didn't <laughs> want to go into the public sector. Yeah. So, I mean, although the courses offered were pretty balanced, mm-hmm. I think that it would have been a little better if we were more introduced to both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. so like <laughs> not everyone, like I mean, it's obviously it's good if mm-hmm. you're able to figure out early on what you want to do with your education. Yeah. But not being exposed to it gave a lot of students the disadvantage of not knowing that they that's something that they want to go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned like co-op helped you with the practical skills and kind of figuring out what you want to know. Mm-hmm. Like how did your co-op work? Because Ryerson also offers co-op, but the way it's organized is much different than Waterloo, where you guys are, like, four months at a time, potentially. Right, exactly. So, yeah, like, tell me, how was it working during (laughs) co-op? Yeah, so, um, co-op for Waterloo planning Mm -hmm. is, um, how it works is that after the first two years of schooling, Mm -hmm. we start alternating, uh, four months at a time between co-op internships and school so it'd be four months on four months off Mm -hmm. and so what this meant was that we would get to work four months at a time at various uh, locations Mm -hmm. uh, various jobs um, and they can either be planning related or very broad and uh, very unrelated (laughs) Um, yeah so they can be either planning related or they can be they can just have similar aspects to what a planning job would look like. Mm -hmm. So what this means is that you can either work for some type of firm because there are planning firms. And so you would learn Mm -hmm. um, technical skills where you can uh, relate back into the planning field or as I mentioned earlier, like the public sector jobs. So any type of government job Mm -hmm. would classify for, sorry, would qualify for (laughs) Uh, your co-op job Mm -hmm. because you get to understand what it's like to work in the public sector and so for me personally I took uh, co-op as an opportunity to both try and see if I like the planning industry and if it's right for me Mm -hmm. because again as I mentioned in the past I didn't know if I liked planning going into the program I wasn't sure what it was so for someone like me these co-op opportunities were a really good good opportunity for me to explore my possible career paths in the future yeah so I took the opportunity to take jobs that were more in line with my interests outside of planning Mm -hmm. so for example I'm super passionate about public transportation Mm -hmm. and so um, I took co-op positions with transit agencies and I think that was a great opportunity for me to get to work with my passions but then it was also a really good opportunity for me to realize that that's not necessarily something I do want to work in for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. and I do believe that working in the planning industry is what's right for me yeah so the fact that we were able to be exposed to these various placements Mm -hmm. were really good for people like me who didn't know what they wanted to do with their education Um, But I know for you, your co-op sequences were a little different. Yeah, it was a lot different in the sense that co-op is not available to everyone. Okay. So, yeah, like, I know, like, Waterloo, where uh, co-op at Ryerson is earned. 
and it's only available for like the top 30 to 40 percent of the class Mm. so my year it was about like 32 people that made it into co-op as well rather than me like four months at a time Mm -hmm. our co-op took place 16 months in a row wow yeah so it was like it's 16 months between your third and your fourth years of studies and this includes like your two two summers that kind of sandwiches between your like your uh, eight months of like school year that you also take Mm -hmm. off yeah so um I think this program structure of like having 16 months in a row is really beneficial especially being in the architecture industry where like a lot of your projects takes months to complete Mm -hmm. so if you're only at like uh at a place for about four months at a time you don't really get to deep dive into a project at the same time your employers might not even trust you to do a lot of stuff because like (laughs) onboarding takes about I don't know two weeks to a month Mm -hmm. and then by the time you're finished onboarding you only have about like three to two months of real actual work time Mm -hmm. so like that 16 months allows you to allows the opportunity to get into a project much deeper Mm -hmm. and I do have some friends that did commit 16 months up front to a single firm, mm. but a common thing that a lot of people do is, like, they would divide their times eight months at one firm and eight months in another, okay. which is still, like, eight months is still ample time to get into a project. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I think that's, like, a, a pretty good, like, way also of trying to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of times people would spend, like, eight months at a big firm and mm-hmm. eight months at a smaller firm or, like, eight months working in different, like... Uh, typologies right. just to figure out what they want to do in the future and mm-hmm. yeah I think overall co-op is a great opportunity yeah and I was very happy that I was able to experience that mm-hmm. but yeah like that being said um if you don't make it into co-op or don't have co-op you can also like take time off of school mm-hmm. to um to work which a lot of people that I know they didn't make into co-op they just took the year off to at the same time as us and just found their own job to kind of experience it before like continuing and finishing school mm-hmm. yeah um i think the fact that the co-op programs at both of our schools were so different yeah um <laughs> but it's really cool that even though they were so different it's very clear that both uh co-op programs have their own benefits yeah such as a, a really big benefit that I see based on the co-op program that you had yeah. was the fact that you could get fully immersed in the pro- uh sorry in your job yeah um because yeah that is true I felt like when I was in my four month internship mm-hmm. right when I started to get a hang of things and really get the groove on how projects work mm-hmm. it was time for me to leave and yeah. wrap up and I just it was more like that's it that's that's all i get (laughs) yeah uh whereas for you there's more (laughs) yeah you got to see like projects through Mm -hmm. but again like a benefit of the co-op program at waterloo is that because they're broken up into these chunks uh you get to like experience various different types of companies you want to work for yeah like it's less i guess less rush to always having to find a new placement like for if you want to do four months within like if you want to split your 16 months into like four different terms Mm, mm -hmm. whereas like yours like there's like a breather or a time yeah that being said like how did you find I guess the teacher student relationship were you able to like get a lot of guidance from your professors at your school or in your program yeah so um I think that uh as I mentioned earlier like a lot of the courses at least in the earlier years Mm -hmm 
were more focused around like the private sector mm-hmm. um i feel like a lot of like professors had more of a bias towards um uh, gearing the students to go towards a private sector profession mm-hmm. but there were like some professors and some advisors who would say maybe that's not for you maybe you want to explore the private sector mm-hmm. um i felt like the professors that I had were very helpful in guiding us, figuring out what's right for us. Mm-hmm. That is, if you took the time to go up to your professor to, <laughs> and <laughs> actually to ask them. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Did you have any advisors or professors that you really were able to talk to? Yeah, I feel like the unique thing about architecture programs is that like you have this experience of studio. Mm-hmm. And what studio is like, you are there is one prof to the max probably of 16 students Mm. so because of that you're able to get to know one prof every semester quite well right and you're able to build a rapport with that and sometimes um these relationships can last extend beyond that semester so they continue becoming your advisors Mm -hmm. so i found myself like less going to the actual like designated academic provide advisor Mm -hmm. of our program and more so actually going to our specific profs that we like and talking to them for advice or for, like, we want help on this or assistance and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that was quite helpful. As well, like, a lot of these professors, they have pretty much their doors open all the time, and, like, they're all located in this one part of the same building as us. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy, like, if we're on the fourth floor and we have something, a struggle that we're dealing with, we can, like, go down down to the third floor to see if they're in their office and, like, to talk to them. Mm. So I think in that sense, it was quite easy. Right. And it's less scarier than, like, in lecture settings in other programs where, like, you have a 100 students to one prof you're obviously a lot more intimidated to approach that yeah for sure so yeah like the studio setting made things a lot easier Mm. yeah um so with that studio setting like did Mm -hmm. you find that your specific studio group like you were able to uh form friendships easier that way as well yeah yeah so like okay looking back on like everyone's relationships and how they built their friendships within the architecture program i think a lot of it goes back to first year okay so pretty much everyone that are like their closest friends I find are the same people that they met in first year first semester mm. of studio okay yeah so because of that like first year it was quite clicky because a lot of people mm-hmm. were just like sticking within their own studio groups they mm-hmm. don't really know other people or like they're shy to like hang out with other people yeah but over time like you kind of as you like develop a stronger relationship with those that you like survived studio (laughs) with Mm -hmm. you're also able to like kind of like mingle and like talk to other people Mm -hmm. and I think um at Ryerson we have three student groups and these three student groups do a really good job of like hosting social events Mm. to allow um, students to not only like get to know other people within your year but also getting to know people in the years above Mm -hmm. and like one of the greatest thing is like um one of the student groups they would host a mentor session or a, okay. a mentorship program right whereas like people in first and second year would get paired out with someone in third or fourth year mm-hmm. and they would be your mentor for the year so if you have any assistance or have any questions about how to do things or what to do or like you need someone to help like create your design and your prof is not available mm-hmm. you have this mentor that you can contact mm, wow yeah, and also, like, that helps you get to know other people older than you, and, like, mm-hmm. it makes things a, less, a little less scarier, because you can also get to know your mentor's friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, what about you? Like, how did you, like, socialize at your program or meet new friends? Yeah, I feel like, um, similar to your school, we had, like, 
a planning student association that would host a lot of different events that's open to all students that are in Waterloo planning program Mm -hmm. can attend these events and so it was a really good chance to like network and mingle and like basically get to know the people that you might be working with in the Mm -hmm. future and also like what you said it, it makes things a lot less scary yeah to know that like the people in your uh in your program are like in the end just people (laughs) but with that being said like I did find that my cohort was a little bit competitive Mm. in the sense of like what grades we got what type of projects we would focus on and even uh figuring out like what sector of planning we want to go into um i think also with the factor of co-op and landing internships Mm -hmm. that provided a really good opportunity for students to show their competitive side Mm. albeit it was a little bit toxic uh, because if you felt that your internship position may not sound as prestigious as someone else's like it it doesn't feel good yeah um so competitiveness was a really big factor within my cohort Mm -hmm. um is that normal for your like planning or is it just because it was your year like did you know or see similar things happen to in years and like previous to you or after you i feel like because i was actually immersed in my cohort mm-hmm. it was a lot more clear how competitive people were mm-hmm. but from insights of people in upper year and just overlooking as like a third party person yeah um the other cohorts didn't seem quite as competitive yeah but that being said i wasn't actually in it so i, <laughs> yeah. I can't say you can't yeah um but yeah like it was i think out of my university experience that is something that i wish didn't affect me as much as it did Mm -hmm. um i think if i could realize earlier on that i don't have to be a competitive person in order to feel successful Mm -hmm. uh the fact that my classmates were Mm -hmm. competitive wouldn't affect me so much yeah i think for me at ryerson like For sure, architecture is a competitive program. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone wants to do the best and be the best. Yeah. However, like, at school, I don't think there was an overly, like, crippling or overpowering sensation that, um, of competitiveness. I think there were obviously some people in my class that were, like, they excelled at pretty much everything they Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, a lot of us understood that, like, not everyone excels in architecture. A lot of us struggle. Mm -hmm. So I think... Most of us knew that as long as as we did our best and we tried our best, it was okay. And that, like, we don't need to compete with everybody else. Right. And, yeah, so knowing that, like, there are people that are naturally talented at us, Mm -hmm. they serve as, like, motivational tools to help us do better. Right. But it wasn't to make us feel bad, I think. So I think that was a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, with that being said, though, like, there were also specific, um like, students in my cohort Mm -hmm. that were often viewed as if they were on a pedestal, Uh. and I found that that was very toxic as well, not Mm -hmm. only for the people who see them on the pedestal, but these people themselves, Mm -hmm. because it just puts so much more pressure on them, and, like, basically, it just seems like every step, every move they make everyone's watching everyone is watching <laughs> mm. and then you you have this constant pressure of needing to be good at everything mm-hmm. you do i don't know like i just feel like the overall culture 
that that creates is mm-hmm. very unhealthy <laughs> it's very unhealthy yeah i don't know for us i feel like it wasn't as competitive because we knew based on like the intensity of a workload like how people managed them mm-hmm. was basically how well people would succeed mm. i find that the most people that did well naturally they were able to manage their time very very efficiently and mm-hmm. manage like the intense workload so like i think <laughs> off the bat like in first year mm-hmm. Architecture school was very intense. Okay. There was a like a large learning curve basically coming out of high school and going to uh, first year. Mm-hmm. So base in first year, a lot of us like would sl- uh, would spend hours in mm. studio, like not sleeping, um, just so we can complete a deadline. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we noticed that people that are in the studio with us aren't necessarily the people that are like the most natural or achieving the best result mm-hmm. is the people that are actually like ahead of time or able to complete their stuff mm-hmm. and don't need to like pull on all-nighters that actually do well so it's like you kind of understand that like there's some things that you can control of like how well you can do mm-hmm. so i think that helps with the competitiveness and knowing that like everyone's working a lot and their like their success is based on because of their like actual worth ethic right for sure yeah so it's like it's easier to be less competitive when you can see how much effort other people are putting in Mm, whereas mm -hmm. i feel like planning you might be working in isolated places so you don't understand where everything is coming from and why people are the way they are yeah i guess that's a good point Mm -hmm. um so with you mentioned like work ethic making sure you have like a good work ethics Mm -hmm. viewing those who do clearly have a good work ethic Mm -hmm. um can serve as motivation for you to like strive to become better yourself Mm -hmm. do you have any other like maybe tips for people who aren't sure how to do well that want to do well um yeah so i think first off when you're entering school Mm -hmm. learn how to use the softwares before you start school okay yeah especially (laughs) nowadays where like softwares like adobe and rhino and autocad and like revit they're easily accessible to mm-hmm. to people uh, before they start school that way it makes once you're in school learning how to design you don't need to learn how to use the software at the same time you're learning how to design mm-hmm. that, so yeah, yeah that's a really good tip yeah and then like a second one is like don't leave your presentation physical models to the very last moment so me being not the greatest at managing my time when it comes to like studio mm-hmm. i have often find myself running out of time at the end of every deadline mm. and i would spend most of my time working my drawings like on the computer and then saving my physical model for the end mm. and because i save it for the end i'm always rushing oh no either i'm always rushing so it doesn't look the greatest or i don't actually get to finish it the way i want mm-hmm. because i didn't prioritize it and because of that i don't really have a lot of like photos or stuff to show for it yeah for sure so like that's like a one like big regret or tip that I would tell people is like do your model first and mm-hmm. then do your drawings because I think it's easier to like do your drawings once you have your model done mm-hmm. rather than putting your model last and then the third is just like knowing that like a lot of profs say that when you have one hour class that usually typically equates to like three hours of homework <laughs> um I think take that seriously especially when it's like for a course like studio mm-hmm. you, a lot of times you think you don't need to be spending you don't need to spend as much time working on it, but you actually do because mm-hmm. you don't realize how much you work you have until you actually get into designing. Mm-hmm. Especially since designing is not a very linear process. Right. So, like, a lot of times things take longer to complete. Mm-hmm. So, I think, yeah, for sure, like, 
don't slack off. <laughs> like, yeah, schedule the time and make sure you schedule enough time to actually do things. Mm. Yeah. Like, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest tips that I can give, and I wish I heard early on, yeah, is when profs offer office hours, mm. take, take advantage them. Yeah. of them. A lot of the times, no one shows up to office hours, yeah. so the profs are just sitting around waiting to talk to someone. Yeah. And not only will attending these office hours help you get a more clear understanding of what the prof expects mm-hmm. from their course, it also helps you build a better repu- uh, better reputation mm-hmm. and better relationship with a prof where if anything happens during your semester mm-hmm. and you may need a last minute extension going to your prof to ask for one it's so much easier for your prof to grant you that extension because they they, under- they yeah. understand that it's like probably a one-time thing they don't expect you Mm-hmm. to slack off and the fact that they know your name now it makes it easier for them to sympathize with you yeah and i think if i had known earlier on i would have attended all of my office hours <laughs> yeah um i actually took this tip and put it into action during my last semester <laughs> and yeah. so during my last semester is when i realized how helpful going to office hours actually is yeah because at the end of the term like all my profs knew who i was and if i needed any help they would offer it and sending them emails i didn't have to explain who i was as much Mm -hmm. obviously they have so many students so like i still needed to like remind them which class i was in yeah but once i did that they knew exactly who i was and i think another tip that is so important is once again there's no need to compare yourself with anyone else yes for sure (laughs) yeah like i mean everyone learns and grows and experiences things at different times and that's okay like Mm -hmm. just because you don't feel like you're as successful as someone else Mm -hmm. maybe your definition of success is just different from theirs and maybe they feel that they're not as successful as you and everyone's perspective on things is different and you just you can't yeah. equate yourself to someone else. Yeah, as long as you're doing your best, I think that's a, that's that's great. Mm-hmm, that's exactly. all you can do. <laughs> so speaking of talking to profs, another tip that I have is to maintain those relationships. Mm, I agree. Yeah, so like once you get to know a prof, like I think you should foster that network that you have because mm-hmm. what I realized is like over time, after I am like I get close with one studio professor, after that semester is over, I like stop talking to them and I basically lose that connection. Mm-hmm. And like years down the road, I realize oh maybe I should have kept that because they could have been beneficial for something that I need now. Yeah, mm-hmm. like maybe they have answers to questions you have, yeah. or they can serve as references or provide recommendation letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just like maintain your networks because if you keep building it and you don't maintain your old ones, it's basically you're still back at zero. Yeah. Well, I guess those are some uh, good tips to end off on. So mm-hmm. I guess that's the plan for now. Remember to listen to our next episode to continue figuring it out with us. Until then, thanks for tuning in. And remember to check out our Instagram page for what the next plan is.